As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, our eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. We ask you would deal with your servants according to your steadfast love and teach us your statutes. We are your servants. Give us understanding that we may know your testimonies and hear our prayers for we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, if you're using the Pew Bibles, you'll find on page 678 of most of the Pew Bibles, um, Proverbs between the books of Psalms and Ecclesiastes. And after taking a break to consider the events surrounding the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are returning to our study of the book of Proverbs. We've been going through a series on the book, and we're returning to start a new section of the book. So Proverbs chapter 10, and this morning we're just going to read the first five verses together of Proverbs chapter 10. So Proverbs 10, beginning at verse 1, and let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Um, as we come to this chapter and begin the Proverbs of Solomon here, as they're described, maybe this is more of what we expect when we come to the book of Proverbs. Um, these, these simple aphorisms or wisdom statements laid out for us, and they, they come in a series of, of statements, and uh, they're all pointing out good and important things, but we sometimes wonder, is this just kind of one thing after another? Is there any rhyme or reason to any of this? And, and maybe this is kind of what we expect when we, when we come to the book of Proverbs. These Proverbs sayings uh, that just go on and on throughout the book. Um, and can we make sense of them? And I think the fact that we've gone through the first nine chapters, which mean to lay the foundation for dealing with these Proverbs, uh, helps us to understand them. Um, we're, we're, we've laid the foundation, we're, we're prepared now to come into the presence of these Proverbs and to make sense of them and to remind ourselves of the significance of them and how they're to come to us in life. Um, if we were just to start with chapter 10 and just start reading aphorisms, we wouldn't have been oriented by God's word through all of those important lectures the father had with the son to really be equipped to deal with them. Um, and so we're, we're ahead of the game in coming to chapter 10, that we've gone through and laid that foundation of trying to understand what Proverbs is about at its core, and then come to these Proverbs and understand them aright. If we didn't have that foundation, we might be tempted to come and just say, this is simply laying out a kind of deed consequence idea. You do the right thing, the right thing happens. Don't do the right thing, the wrong thing will happen, so do the right thing. Um, just kind of a deed con consequence over and over again in the book of Proverbs. But we know that it's more than that. 
we've seen as Proverbs has gone along, it's more than just practical advice. Um, it's advice, it's, it's wisdom for dealing with the coherent world that God has made. And all of the things that are required to live in this coherent world that God has made. This world that fits together, has been designed, has been structured by our God. Um, and this gives us wisdom to live in that world. Proverbs is not just practical advice. It's moral and theological wisdom uh, for living a blessed and happy life. I like what one commentator said, in the coherent universe that Proverbs inhabits, insight, effectiveness, rightness, and God belong together. In a sense, we could say verse chapter 9 invited us to come into Lady Wisdom's house and sit down for the meal that she had provided. And maybe we can use that imagery to help us enter into these Proverbs that we're coming into her house and she's going to serve us a gourmet meal that's several courses. And the first course that's brought out to us at our table is labeled wisdom in contrast. We might say, I'm not sure I want to eat this. What does that mean? Wisdom in contrast. Um, well, the interesting thing about these Proverbs as they lay out is they're not without a structure. They're not coming at us just one after another with no thought or organization to them. They actually have quite a serious point. Um, the first main section of Proverbs in the, Sol- in the Proverbs of Solomon here are chapters 10 through 15. Uh, chapters 10 through 15 have about 184 Proverbs in them. And of those 184 Proverbs, 148 of them are contrasts. Um, This is what happens here, or this happens there. It contrasts two things. Um, We saw that over and over again as we read just in chapter 5. All these contrasts were presented before us. Um, The wise and the foolish son, the wicked and the righteous, the lazy and the diligent. That's how wisdom will be working to contrast one thing and another. And so of those 184 Proverbs, 148 of them are contrasts like that. Um, Now, don't worry, the numbers aren't going to be on the test later. You don't have to remember this. But what that impresses on us is there's a teaching purpose in this, isn't there? To teach by contrast. And what is particularly going to be contrasted in in these chapters? It's this. The contrast between the righteous and the wicked. Most of of the teaching so far has been about the wise and the foolish. In the first nine chapters, the righteous are only mentioned four times in all nine chapters. The righteous are mentioned 13 times in chapter 10. What is this this teaching meant to do? It's meant to show us again the, the coherence of wisdom. That the wise person is the righteous person. The wise person is not just living practically in the world. They're living morally before their God. That the two are intimately connected. Um, And that there's a fate that awaits the righteous. And a fate that awaits the wicked. And Proverbs is pleading with us to be righteous. To be wise. And so we're going to be taught by a series of contrasts. And and here it's particularly the contrast between the righteous and the wicked when it comes to the wealth of this world. 
when it comes to wealth and to true riches. Um, that's the contrast between the wicked and the righteous that really plays out in these first five verses. So we're going to look at this study in contrast together this morning. We're going to think about first contrasting pupils. Contrasting pupils. Then we're going to consider contrasting prophets. And finally, we're going to consider contrasting producers. Um, how these things relate to to wealth and prosperity. First, we are confronted with contrasting pupils. Uh, Verse 1 connects what we have here to what's come before. We're told at the beginning of chapter 10, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. Um, That is sort of how the book began way back in chapter 1. So we're being signaled right from the beginning. There's a connection here to what's come before. We see that connection in the heading, the the Proverbs of Solomon. Um, a shortened repetition of the title that began chapter 1. But we also see a connection from what came before in the characters that are presented to us in chapter 1. These are familiar people to us if we've been going through the book of Proverbs. The familiar characters, the son, the father, the mother. Um, And how have they always been presented to us in the book of Proverbs? Wise parents giving instruction to their children, hoping that their son will walk in the way of wisdom. And so the son has always been, in a sense, a pupil, a student in the book of Proverbs, learning from wise parents. And so where does this chapter begin? It begins with a contrast between two different kinds of pupils. One who's learned his lesson and learned it well, and one who has not learned his lesson. The one who has learned wisdom and the one who has not. And that's who we're introduced to, these two pupils in in these two pupils in contrast. Um, One representing the one who has been the wise son. Who is the wise son? Uh, Well, he's the one who's listened to the wisdom of his parents. He's learned the wisdom of his parents. And he's living out the wisdom of his parents. And what is the reaction from the father seeing his son walking in wisdom's ways? It makes his father glad. And, you know, if we really didn't have these chapters we'd already gone through as a foundation, we wouldn't really understand where that that gladness is coming from. All all the depths of it that that came across in in chapters 1 verse 9. What does it mean that the son has learned wisdom and his living wisdom. What makes the father so glad? Because he's looking at the son he loves and knows that wisdom is going to help him in life. It's going to help him avoid the temptations of easy money and easy sex that the first nine chapters warned of. Wisdom is going to help him invest what God has given him in terms of his family in terms of his family faith, in terms of his family fortune, and in terms of his family face, we could say. Because I needed a third F. Um, what, is the, what is the gladness that comes from the Father? He knows that his son is walking in the faith. Walking in the way that God has taught them to walk. That the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So he's glad to know that his son is walking in that faith. And he's knowing that son having that wisdom and walking in that faith will also secure the family fortune. 
What, what was true of those who succumb to the, the temptations of, of easy money and easy sex? They, they end up squandering all the things that they've been given. They don't invest them in the family where they ought to be invested. And so the father can be glad to know that his son is investing the family fortune in the right place. And the son will uphold the family face, the family reputation. Um, Not because the father is so concerned with how he's thought of in the world, but because he knows he has a good reputation because he's wise. A good reputation comes with wisdom. And so he's glad to know that his son will be thought wise. Uh, That his son is well on the way to becoming another wise father to transmit that wisdom to the next generation. Just as Solomon told his son, I learned this from my father. There's a sense in which wisdom is perpetuated down the generations and the father can be glad to see this in his son. This is why the wise son makes a glad father. Uh, The apostle John speaking as a spiritual father in 3 John verse 4 said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's a gladness for their sake. The father's not glad for his own sake. He's not sort of proudly saying, look at my boy. Um, He's happy for him. He knows what that will mean for his life. He knows that he's on the road to a life that God has promised ultimately ends in happiness and blessedness. That's what makes the father glad. You see how the depths of that we'd be really unable to understand without, without the foundation of the first nine chapters? Being able to put feet to that, to understand it. And it's a wonderful thing to think of this father being so glad for his son. Um, we, we see the Lord, when the Lord Jesus comes in the world, his father says that about him. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. But Jesus gladdens the heart of his father. Because he's one who's listened to and learned and lived what his father wanted him to do. Gladdened his father's heart by his complete submission to his will. And has been exalted to his right hand and given the name that's above every name. A wise son makes a glad father. Um, That could help us a lot in our own striving for holiness to know that when we walk in the ways that our father has called us to walk, it gladdens him. Isn't that a wonderful way to think about our obedience before God? That it makes God glad. It makes him a glad father to see his children walking in the truth. Um, What a great motivation for us in our own walking before the Lord to know that it gladdens his heart as our father. In one sense, there's nothing that makes a father more glad than a wise son, and there's nothing that makes a mother more sad than a foolish son. Now, it's not trying to give the dad all the positives and mom all the negatives. Uh, This is just laying out that both parents have been involved in instruction, and this is a way of reminding us that both parents would really be glad with a wise son, and both parents would grieve over a foolish son. Um, And so the mother is is representing the parents just as the father did in the first. But what what, what is the foolish son, by contrast? For all his parents' faithful instruction... He has become the pupil who doesn't listen. 
who doesn't learn and who's not living what he was taught. Um, that's a great grief to parents. Um, especially parents who've done everything they can to raise up children in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. Um, we all have talked to people who've experienced this. Maybe you've experienced this yourself. You did everything you could to be a faithful parent and you've seen a child walk away from the Lord. And just as the joy the father expresses is for his son's sake, so the sorrow the mother expresses is for her son's sake. Um, remember what we read in Proverbs 9, verse 12. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The mother knows in a sense that the son alone is going to bear the consequences of what he does. But this is a reminder here that our sinful choices don't just affect us. They, they, they affect the people that love us and that are grieved to see us go down the wrong path for our sakes um, because they know what it will mean for us and what it will mean for our lives. Right? The mother is presented as someone who is wise and being wise, she knows what it is and what's going to befall someone who departs from the wise path. The opposite side of all those things that made the father glad. An inability to avoid the temptations of easy sex and easy money. A fortune that's going to be squandered, not in a family, but with foreigners. A reputation that's going to be ruined among the community. A faith abandoned. And ultimately a path that leads and ends in death. The contrast is huge between these two sons. And it's obvious what, what Proverbs is doing. It's, it's implicitly pleading with us still to be the wise son. To not depart from the path. And what a contrast it presents us between those who've learned and those who've failed to learn. Um, everyone who's in church hears. And the call is not just to hear, but to be a doer of the word also. To do what the word commands us to do. To put our faith and trust in Christ. To follow after God in grateful obedience. Uh, and what a contrast between the life that is lived in faith and in obedience to God and the one that turns away from him. And that's why this study in contrasting pupils leads to a study in contrasting prophets. And here again we, we clearly see in verses 2 and 3 that there's a contrast between the wise and the fool, that contrast is a moral and theological contrast. It's not just wisdom and folly, it's righteousness and wickedness. Now what does verse 2 tell us will profit a wicked person? The treasures gained by wickedness do not profit. They do not profit at all. Now, I know you're all ready to say, no, but wait a minute. The wicked do profit from their wickedness. I can give you examples. Um, it's not that the wicked never seem to prosper. Right? That was the invitation for easy money in chapter 1. Come with us in our band of robbers. We'll go take advantage of innocent people. We lie in wait. They're not even ready for us. We'll fill our houses with their stuff. Um, there's nothing to say that that 
that his friends didn't go out and do just that. They may have filled their houses with treasure. The wicked may seem to profit. That's why we sang Psalm 37. It wrestles with that problem. What do we do when the wicked seem to profit? Psalm 73 struggles with that same question. What do we do when the wicked seem to profit? But here is the answer. The wicked may steal. They may save it up. But at the end of the day, they will never share it. And it will not save them from the Lord's justice. The treasures of the wicked profit them nothing. And why do they profit them nothing? Because verse 3 tells us the Lord thwarts the craving of the wicked. Um, Whatever they desire, it's really vivid in Hebrew, he shoves it away. Um, And that, that is the real truth and the answer to that riddle. Why do the wicked seem to prosper in this life? They seem to prosper right up till the time they face the Lord's judgment. Then they realize that it will not, it will not cause them to jo- enjoy it in the end. Because all of their desires, the Lord will sweep away. Now, cravings is a great word here. Because the wicked are never satisfied. Their greed is insatiable. Their cravings are, as one person put it, unrestrained and uncontrolled, but the Lord will thwart them all. Whatever they desire, he will shove it away. And that's why all of their wickedness in the end comes to nothing. It does not profit. What are the righteous? What does the righteousness of the righteous profit him? Much in every way. Look at verse 2b. Righteousness delivers from death. Um, and if we, if we really meditate on that, how righteousness delivers from death, it's not the righteous who delivers himself alone from death. Um, who else does the righteous deliver from death? In charity, the righteous delivers the community from death. What, what is true of a righteous person that they, they, they labor to have their own and they share with those who are in need? Um, think of Boaz as a righteous man, right? He was a blessing to the community. He, he, in a sense, provided deliverance from death for Ruth and for Naomi and for other people who would come and glean in his field. The righteous is a blessing not just in himself. It's not just his own industry that delivers him from death. It, it, in charity, it delivers the community. The, the righteous share what they have. There are deliverances from death in charity. There's deliverance from death in the righteous in unity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Because by faith, Christ's righteousness becomes ours. His righteousness has always delivered the faithful from death and raises us up to spiritual and eternal life even now. Right? In unity with Christ, there's deliverance from death even now. That was the point he wanted Martha to see when he said, you, you believe your brother will be raised when Lazarus had died? And she said, I know he'll be raised on the last day. And Jesus said, I'm not talking about life in the last day. I'm talking about life now. I am the resurrection and the life now. He who believes in me will never die now. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. 
right? That's what the Lord is saying. Not life just in the future, life now. And not just life now in unity with Christ, but also life in eternity. Deliverance from death, being raised up to live a life like Christ. Lord willing, we'll talk more about that tonight as we go through the catechism. But you see how deliverances from death is all-encompassing for the righteous. It's far-reaching. And why can we be so certain that that will truly and surely be? Because the Lord is the provider of the righteous. Why will the righteous prosper? Because the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. Um, the needs of the righteous will always be met by the Lord. That's, that's the message. That's what Proverbs wants us to take away. Now again, maybe our hearts and minds want to say, okay, but what about, what about, what about? We can't push a proverb too far. Right? We know that in our own, in our own life. Right? He who hesitates is lost, but look before you leap. Okay, which one is it? It's both. You need to apply it at the right time. But this is communicating to us a clear truth. Why will there be deliverances from death? Because the Lord is the provider of the righteous. What does it profit the wicked to be wicked? It profits them not at all. What does it profit the righteous to be righteous? It profits them now. It profits the people around them. It profits them in eternity. It profits them in every way that the Lord is our God. He will provide our needs so that none of them are lacking. Um, because the righteous hunger for more than just food, than just the necessities of this life, which God promises to us. Right? Jesus said, you don't need to be worried about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear because your heavenly Father will provide. But the righteous have other hungers. They know that the word of God is true, that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And what is the promise here to the righteous? It's that those hungers will be satisfied too. That's the great promise that God makes to his people. Not just our physical needs, but our spiritual needs will be provided for by our God. The spiritual food that our hungry and thirsty souls need to live, even the Lord Jesus Christ will be satisfied. Jeremiah 35, 25, 31, 25 says, For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. And of course, our Lord said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And if the righteous live in just such great confidence in the Lord's provision, is that an excuse to laziness? As Proverbs teaching us, we should pray, give us, thy, give us this day our daily bread, and then just walk outside and sit out there with our mouths open and hope it falls in from heaven. Uh, no, the Lord is, it works through means. And the Prover again, Proverbs understands the, the wholeness, the coherent way in which God has created the world, and that he's called us uh, to do certain things. And so what does the wise understand as a producer? Uh, that he has to use this world as God has instructed him, with insight and effectiveness, as well as with rightness and with, the God, with God. And so yes, the covenant Lord is our provider, but he helps us understand that we must do the right things at the right time 
if we're to expect his blessings. Uh, just as this scripture teaches us in verses 4 and 5, that if we do the wrong things at the wrong time, we should not be surprised if we miss the blessings that otherwise would come. Uh, what does the son who brings shame discover in the last two verses? Uh, he does the wrong thing at the wrong time. He has a slack hand. Uh, that word for slackness is like a loose bowstring. If you ever shot a bow, you can't do anything with a bow that has a loose bowstring. Um, it means it's a useless tool. Um, and that's essentially what it's saying. The son who brings shame is a useless tool. He can't bring anything about. Um, he can't do anything. Um, and it's bad enough that he has a slack hand. He's asleep when the harvest time comes. Um, and this word for sleep is not a little sleep. This is the word for deep sleep. Um, you might remember that Cicero was in a deep sleep when Jael nailed a hammer through his head. Or nailed a tent peg through his temple. Um, he was fast asleep. That's why she was able to do it. That's what this son is here. He's fast asleep during the harvest. Um, and what will he produce? Well, he'll produce nothing. The only things he produces, well, not nothing. He doesn't produce anything positive. He produces poverty and shame. Um, he sleeps when he should be working, and he brings poverty and shame on his head. What about the other son? How is he as a producer? He has not a slack hand, but a diligent hand. Um, here is one who is careful, industrious, and persistent. It's even a different word for hand. The slack hand is the slack palm. Uh, the diligent hand is from the fingertips to the elbow. It's almost like he's got the diligent arm. He's working hard. Um, and when is he working? He's gathering in the summer. Um, he's gathering in the harvest. Uh, do you remember who else gathered in the summer and in the harvest? It was the ant. Uh, go to the ant, you sluggard. He's the one who gathers when the time to gather is right. That's what this wise person is doing. The fool is doing like what the sluggard was warned against, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come on you like a robber. The son works. Uh, he works as he should. And what is the blessing he receives? Riches and a reputation. His work makes him rich. There's a marked difference between the treasures of the wicked and the riches of the industrious worker. One will be brought to nothing by the Lord. The other is a blessing from the Lord. And this is something that's worth meditating on for the Christian. Will serving God make us rich? The answer to that question is an overwhelming yes. Before the elders tackle me, thinking I'm going to preach prosperity gospel to you, I want to talk to you about what kind of riches are promised to the righteous. James says that we will be rich in faith now and heirs to a great inheritance according to the hope of eternal life. Heirs of the kingdom. Now Peter says we are heirs to the grace of life. Paul says that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And Hebrews tells us that Christ is the heir of all things. So what is the, the wealth that awaits the, the righteous? We have riches in faith now. And we have all things waiting for us. 
Unless that inheritance seems too large or too great to be believed, the Lord has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment of that inheritance until we take possession of it. And God's word is full of reminders of the riches and the inheritance that awaits the people of God. And encourages us to think that God is protecting this inheritance and preserving it for us. Peter says it's an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. One day by grace through faith in Christ, according to the hope of eternal life, you will take possession of your inheritance. It pays to be a Christian. Not in the way the world counts payment. Uh, but, but if we think about riches in that way, beloved, if that's not riches, I don't know what riches are. And with riches come a reputation. What is this son known as? He's known as being a prudent son. He's known as one who has understanding. He's known as one who has insight. And that's who those who know the Lord, that's how we are known. As people who've been given insight by the Lord. John says this in John 5, 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That's what we know. That's the insight we have. We know Him. It's the best thing we can know. And we understand Him. So that by faith we are in Him. That's the riches and the reputation that await God's people. And so in that hope then, we strive to be faithful producers. Believing and putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, offering our lives as living sacrifices of thanksgiving and gratitude to the God who has so richly blessed us, diligently pursuing our callings in life until that time comes when the Lord returns and we take possession of the inheritance that's been promised to his people. Do you see how wisdom is teaching us where true wealth and prosperity are to be found? And how to walk not just in wisdom, but in righteousness. And why? So that we would be happy. So we would be blessed in life with our God. May all of us seek true wealth and prosperity where it's to be found in Jesus Christ. And may all here seek him and find him and have life in his name. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would build us up in insight, that you would build us up in effectiveness, that you would build us up in doing what is right, in righteousness, that you would build us up in a knowledge of you, and that we might look at the world and treat the world in light of those things, that we might not count wealth what the world counts wealth, but seek true wealth and prosperity in you. So we know, Lord, that only you can open our eyes by your Spirit to see these things. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see and embrace Christ by faith, to live a life of faithful service to him and to know the riches that await.
for surely after we have borne the cross with Christ in this life, we will wear the crown with him in the life to come. Help us to look always to that future promise and think about often the blessing and the happiness that awaits the people of God. And may that inspire us to live for you here below. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name.